Hi, DPC. It's great that we can study this passage together today. Uh, if you've got a Bible, please do keep it open. Also, you'll see on our welcome card page, there's an outline and the passage is printed there as well. Uh, let's pray as we come to think about this important passage. Let's talk to God. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with us now, that you would help us to listen to this parable from Jesus and see how it is that we are to live in response to it. Amen. When we were kids, my brother and I had an outdoor mini golf set. It was basically two orange plastic golf putters and these kind of cones, kind of small shallow cones with little holes in it. You could put a flag in it and some multicolored golf balls. And the idea is you'd put the cones around the backyard and set up your own golf course. It's pretty exciting for a kid. Uh, and we used to whack those balls all over the backyard. And there's always this tricky bit between the house and this concrete water tank in our backyard. And what made it particularly tricky is that that's where Dad parked his car in between them. But that didn't deter us. My brother and I would still try and hit our shots between there. And I remember one day I kind of lined up, was all ready to go, and I sort of calculated what I needed to do, swung back, Swung forward, connected, and the ball went sailing off and then stopped all of a sudden as it hit the side mirror of Dad's car. My brother and I just froze. What were we going to do? We broke a mirror. How much did a mirror cost? Probably like hundreds of dollars. Because for a kid, anything above $20 feels like hundreds of dollars. We knew that we couldn't hide this from Dad, so nervously cowering, I went to him and confessed. And I was terrified about what dad would do and how I was, was I going to repay this debt to him. But then amazingly, he forgave me. I didn't have to pay a cent. What a relief. You know, forgiveness is one of those great things in life that can liberate you, that can change you, especially when it's unexpected. And during this time of lockdown in the midst of COVID-19, I'm sure that we'll all be in the need, uh, be in need of forgiveness. You're not going to be our best when we're cooped up in our homes, feeling under pressure and worrying about what's happening in the world. We will want forgiveness. But what about the flip side? You know, what about offering forgiveness to others? Will we want to do that? You know, we all love it when people forgive us. But it's much harder when you're the one doing the forgiving. And it can raise a lot of questions. How do you forgive someone who has really hurt you? How many times should you forgive your spouse or your housemate for doing the same thing over and over again? How many times do you forgive your kids for smashing your side mirror in your car before you actually stop forgiving them? Well, Jesus has the answer for us. And it may actually surprise us. As we've been seeing in our studies in Matthew 18, Jesus has some important words about relationships in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. Christians of all people are supposed to show humility and they need to acknowledge their dependence upon God. They should be ruthlessly dealing with their pride so as not to be a stumbling block to themselves or to others. And they should recognize just how precious all of God's people are to him. And so therefore they are precious to God's people. Because of this, 
it's important then that we speak to fellow Christians when they sin. That's what Aaron spoke to us about last Sunday. But that particular teaching from Jesus raised a question in the mind of one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. Now, he knows that if at the end of the process of going to speak to someone, if that fellow Christian admits their sin, then Peter knows he needs to forgive that person. But what if that person keeps sinning? Yeah, Peter had a brother named Andrew, and they were fishermen. You can imagine that their mum taught them when they were little boys how to play along nicely, how to share. But what if Andrew keeps stealing Peter's things? What if every time they get into the boat to go fishing, Andrew sits in Peter's spot and then Andrew uses Peter's nets and afterwards he doesn't wash the nets, he doesn't repair the nets. How many times does Peter have to forgive Andrew before he just tells him to get lost? This is the sort of question that he brings to Jesus. And this brings us to our first point in our outline. You'll see it there. Peter the Gracious. Have a look at verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? <laughs> wow, Peter's actually being really generous here, isn't he? Seven times. If your best friend stole money from you, would you forgive them seven times? Peter is willing to give his friends Seven chances before he stops forgiving them. And seven was a special number. You know, in Jewish thinking, it was God's number. So seven times is obviously a godly number of times to forgive. And so Peter's not just a generous man. He is a godly man. He's Peter the gracious. But what Jesus says next would have shocked Peter. Have a look at verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is saying, Peter, 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 you're thinking way too small. Seven might be a great godly number, but really you should forgive 77 times. That's really godly. But do you think that Jesus saying the upper limit is actually 77 times? Is that the upper limit for how many times we should forgive someone? Well, I don't think so. I think Jesus has taken Peter's number and he's multiplied it. He's showing really that there's no end to forgiveness. It's not about calculating numbers. It's about being generous, having a generous, forgiving heart. And not only is Peter embarrassed by this, but he's probably thinking, how could I possibly do that? It just seems too much to ask Jesus. And surely you'd agree. How can we forgive someone endlessly? Well, Peter addresses, uh, Jesus addresses Peter's concern and our concern by telling a story. The story he tells is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. So let's have a look at the first part of the story. And we're going to learn about a forgiven servant. That's the next point in our outline. I'll read it out for us. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. So here we have a king, and it's tax time. And for a king, that means calling in the debts, settling the accounts. And the king calls in a man, and this man is a servant of his who owes a debt. Now, he's probably not a slave type of servant. Instead, he's more likely to be a governor or an official. And one of his duties was probably to collect taxes for the king. And he's been a naughty boy because it seems like he hasn't been handing in the tax money. He owes 10,000 bags of gold. Now, we might need to do some currency conversion to figure out how much this is, don't we? Uh, you might see a footnote in your Bible that explains how the Greek actually says it's 10,000 talents. A talent was a unit of currency. It was actually the largest denomination in ancient Rome. Uh, one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. But how much is a single denarius worth, you ask? Well, let me show you a slide. Actually, here's, here's a slide that I've printed out. So a denarius was paid for a single day's wage for a labourer. It was considered the minimum wage. And so if a labourer worked for six days a week, it would take a thousand weeks to earn a talent. That's more than 19 years. And how much does the servant owe his king? 10,000 talents. That's 60 million denarii, or 60 million days of labour. So let's do some maths. Even if the servant earned a thousand times more than a day labourer, it would still take him 60,000 days to earn that much money, or 164 years of work. That's crazy! How could someone rack up such a debt? Well, maybe if it's tax money we're talking about, maybe that's the amount of money he's kept back. He's gone around and collected tax money from people and pocketed for himself. But even that's unlikely. When King Herod ruled over Galilee and neighbouring Perea, he would get, and this is according to the history books, he would get 200 talents in taxes a year. So 10,000 talents, it's almost as if this servant has kept back 50 years of Herod's tax money. That's an insane amount of money. It's so ridiculous. It's almost like Jesus has just made this figure up. It's like he's saying, uh, you owe me one billion, gajillion, fulfillion dollars. But that's the point. This is an impossible amount. So how will the servant get rid of this debt? Well, check out verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And of course the servant can't repay this. So the king says that all of his possessions are to be sold and he and his family are to work off the debt as slaves. But even then, they would never actually pay it off, would they? This is a life sentence. The servant has no other option than to plead with the king. He falls on his knees and he says, Be patient with me and I will pay back everything. And then in verse 27 we read this. The servant's master took pity on him, 
cancel the debt and let him go. Wow. Yet the king took pity on his servant and cancelled the debt. You know, one minute he's ready to destroy this guy's life and the next minute he sets him free. This is even more incredible than the size of the debt. I mean, the debt is amazing, but the size of the king's mercy is immense. The servant gets to leave a free man. He is completely forgiven. Now, you'd expect this would change his life, right? You know, he'd be a new man with a new outlook in life. Right? Wrong. The servant learns nothing from what's just happened. Even though the servant was forgiven, he himself refuses to show forgiveness to others. He is an unforgiving, forgiven servant. It's the next point in the outline. Have a look what happens in verses 28 to 30. I'll read them out for us. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. The forgiven servant is completely unforgiving. He goes out and he finds another servant who works for the king and this guy owes him money. And he wants to make sure that he doesn't get into debt again, so it's time to call in this debt. But do you notice the order that he does things in? I mean, he grabs the guy, starts choking him, and then makes a demand, pay back what you owe me. There's no polite approach. There's no humility doesn't even ask a question he just shouts at the other servant this forgiving servant is vicious he's also incredibly ungrateful for what the king has just done for him when his fellow servant owes him 100 silver coins and what is a silver coin well it's one of these (laughs) it's a denarius and so the fellow servant owes a hundred denarii but the first servant, he owed the king 600,000 times that. He owed 60 million silver coins. And so surely if you had been forgiven a $60 million debt, you'd be willing to overlook a $100 debt owed to you. And so the servant here reveals just how wicked and foolish he is. He refuses to listen to his fellow servant's plea. Just like he did, this other man falls on his knees and says, Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. The first servant asked the king for patience. And instead of just giving him time to pay back the money, the king actually said he didn't have to pay back anything. Yet now his fellow servant is asking for the exact same thing. And not only does he refuse to cancel the debt, he won't even be patient and let the man pay back the money. And let's be honest, a hundred denarii is not an impossible amount to pay back. I mean, that's a hundred days of work. Or if this servant is paid better than a labourer, perhaps it's only ten days of work. Like a little bit of patience, and this man could have gotten the money that was owed to him. He's such a hypocrite. See, there's no way that he could have repaid his own debt, yet the debt owed him was manageable. 
the servant then throws his fellow servant into jail until the debt can be paid. It's kind of like holding him to ransom so that his family and friends have to cough up. Jesus then describes what happens afterwards. Check out verses 31 to 34. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. The heart of the parable is that this man is an ungrateful hypocrite. If he truly understood the mercy that had been shown to him, he would have shown it to his fellow servant. And so the first servant is punished because he abused the mercy that was shown to him. He's taken away to be tortured until he can pay back what he owed. And like we said, this was a debt that could never be paid back. And so chillingly, the wicked servant is facing a lifetime of torture. Jesus then applies the parable in verse 35. Check it out. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus is saying that God the Father will punish anyone who expects God to forgive them, but they won't forgive others. It's a forgiveness that needs to come from the heart too. The point is pretty clear, isn't it? Those who have been forgiven by God should forgive others. The forgiven are forgivers. This is the last point on our outline, last major point. Now, you probably picked it up as we went along that the servants in this parable are Christians and the king in the story is God. So let's go back over the parable now and think about how it applies to us. First of all, we're like the forgiven servant. Your debt is cancelled. Did you know that you have a debt against God? Every time you do something wrong, you're actually racking up a bill. Every big thing that you do, every little thing that you do, it just adds to the list. Just like the servant, we come before God and he tells us what we owe. And it's a phenomenal amount. Our rebellion against him, our wickedness is so great that the debt is impossible to pay off. And so we face his judgment. He will punish us eternally to make up for what we have done. And that means that all we can do is fall on our knees and beg for his forgiveness. We must rely on his mercy. But how does God pay our one billion, gajillion, fulfillion dollar debt? Does he just overlook our wrongdoing? Well, if he did that, he wouldn't be a just God, would he? He can't just ignore it. Someone has to pay the price. Well, that's what Jesus did. Instead of us being carried off and sold to repay the debt, Jesus was carried off. He was carried to the cross where he died in our place. We owe an almost infinite amount to God and so only the death of his infinite worthy son can cover the cost. 
And to prove that he had paid the debt, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him on the heavenly throne. So, if you've put your trust in Jesus, then you are forgiven. Your debt is cancelled. In fact, that word there, cancelled, in verses 27 and 32, is the same word translated as forgive in verse 21. Jesus uses the idea of financial forgiveness to help us understand moral or relational forgiveness. And just as the king's forgiveness is almost unbelievable, so is God's forgiveness of us. You think about it. If the only way for us to repay our debt to God is for us to die, then to escape death is wonderful. I mean, we should be relieved. We should rejoice. We should forgive others. And that's the second point about how forgiven people are to be forgivers. You are to cancel debts against you. If we've been forgiven by God, then we should be prepared to forgive others. This means we are to receive forgiveness like the servant, but we're to respond to it in the completely opposite way to him. Having a debt-free relationship with God means we cancel the debts of others. This is the key principle that Jesus is teaching. To say that we won't forgive a brother or sister who's apologised to us is to really say that we don't appreciate the forgiveness that Jesus has earned for us. You've been forgiven so much, surely you can forgive a little. Also, that the fellow servant, yeah, we know he could have paid off his debt eventually. He asks for patience, and the servant should have shown it. And in the same way, sometimes we just need to be patient with others. As they try to right their wrongs, as they try to change and grow. You know, we should be willing to cancel those little debts along the way. Forgiven people are forgivers. In fact, Jesus teaches this elsewhere, doesn't he? You might recall the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 12, Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. These are the same words as in our parable. Now, when we combine that idea with verse 35, we might give the impression that God will only forgive us if we first forgive others. This would then undo the gospel, which declares that our forgiveness is received as a gift. Well, let's not forget where Matthew 18 starts. <coughs> Jesus uses a small child to illustrate how we enter the kingdom of heaven through humility. If a Christian is too proud to welcome a child then they'll probably be too proud to welcome Jesus as their saviour. In a similar way, if someone is unwilling to forgive, then it's likely that they're unwilling to admit their own need for forgiveness from God. You see, our forgiveness towards others is a fruit, it's a result of having first received forgiveness from Christ. And this forgiveness that we offer to others will actually come from the heart. It's the third point of how forgiven people are to be forgivers. You see, the servant's problem was that even though he'd been forgiven, he hadn't internalised the principles of forgiveness. You know, he dodged a bullet and was happy to get out of the king's chamber. But when he came across someone else, it didn't even occur to him to extend the same mercy that he just received. He hadn't 
internalised the principles of forgiveness. Hadn't gotten into his heart. So how do we get forgiveness into our heart? Well, first you need to know the immensity of your debt towards God. He's the perfect and holy God who demands perfection. Each one of us falls miserably short. Secondly, you need to ask God for forgiveness. Just simply get on your knees and plead like the servant and he will give it to you. Thirdly, rejoice in your forgiveness. And this is the key. You know, when you truly understand what God has done for you, then you can't help but be merciful towards others. That's how we work on getting forgiveness into our hearts. You know, we sit in the throne room of the king. We sit at his feet and we marvel at the forgiveness he has shown us. And then we get up and we celebrate and we jump for joy. Forgiving others should flow naturally. In fact, it is the overflow of the forgiveness that God has given us. Too many Christians get this wrong. You know, some people think that they're actually pretty good people and don't really need much forgiveness from God and so they're reluctant to show forgiveness to others. Some think that they have to be forgiving so as to earn God's favour and so they do it out of duty or fear rather than out of joy. Some think that forgiveness is just about the externals, you know, they're putting on a good show and so they'll accept the apology, they might even shake hands with the other person in their heart, there's no real forgiveness. Forgiveness becomes a transaction rather than a joyful gift. Jesus wants us to forgive joyfully, deeply and sincerely from the heart. But this is really hard. And particularly during COVID-19 when we're either crammed in at home with our family or feeling isolated and left out, I've found there have been lots of things I need to forgive over the past week and I've done my fair share of things that need forgiving. And so building on what we've already looked at, here are four tips that this passage teaches us on how to forgive from the heart. (coughs) The first is that we need to show humble patience. The servant sees his fellow servant and goes straight for the throat. There's no humility, there's no sympathy in trying to understand the situation. There's no patience in giving his friend a chance to repay him first. When someone has wronged us, we need humble patience. You give the other person a chance to explain themselves. You don't jump to conclusions, take a deep breath, and then talk. The second thing is that forgiveness means to cancel debts. You know, sometimes we think it's about giving someone another chance, but we keep their account open and we just keep adding to it. But to forgive someone from the heart means to wipe the slate clean. It's to start fresh. That means often we'll need to bear the cost. You know, when we forgive someone who hurts us, that means we absorb that hurt. We pay the price. You know, we want them to pay for it. We want them to feel the pain. But forgiveness means we actually absorb that pain ourselves. And the good news is, God understands what this is like. And God helps us with that. Also, when we cancel a debt, it means we don't keep lists. 
You see, many of us are good at keeping a record in our minds of all the times that someone has wronged us. This isn't forgiveness from the heart. You know, we don't have to forget what they've done, but we're not meant to keep bringing it up all the time. We can't hold it against them and demand a future payment. The third thing we learn from this passage is that we are to freely forgive. You see, the king offered no strings attached. And Jesus tells us that we are to forgive continually. The sky's the limit. Now, we shouldn't be concerned about calculating the upper limit of our forgiveness. Instead, we should be nurturing a forgiving heart that can freely forgive others. Now, there's an important thing we need to point out here. Just because we forgive someone, it doesn't mean that there's necessarily a restoration of the relationship. It doesn't mean that there aren't some sort of consequences. It doesn't mean that you don't have to now have boundaries how you relate to them. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is we need to let go of that debt we hold against people. Because as we see with this servant, it makes him hard-hearted and callous towards others. Jesus says that we need to keep forgiving the person who sins against us. God doesn't set a maximum for us when we sin, and so we shouldn't set a maximum for others either. The final thing we learn from this passage that I want to mention is that God is the king. Let's not forget that. He's the one who settles the accounts. He'll balance the books, not us. Sometimes we feel like we have to receive justice in this life for every wrong that's done against us, and it has to be done by our hands. If someone won't do it, we need to do it. But God is the king, and he'll make sure that all our wrongs are paid for. This is incredibly freeing. We can forgive from our hearts because we can know that justice will be served. Even though this passage is talking about Christians forgiving Christians, the fact that God is the king and king of the whole world, that means we can forgive even those who don't follow Jesus. Because remember, the forgiven are forgivers. And did you notice that even though the fellow servant's debt was smaller than the first servant's, it was still a real debt. I mean, it wasn't like a five-cent debt that you wouldn't care about. It was at least 10 days' wages. This means that even though what people owe us is slight compared to what we owe God, there are still real debts. We are really hurt by others. And so God isn't asking us to ignore our pain. Instead, because he is the king, we can trust that he will deal with the debt. He will balance the books. Well, forgiveness is such a huge topic. And you may feel like you've got a whole bunch of questions that I haven't answered today. If you do have concerns, then please feel free to get in touch with me or Aaron or one of the other leaders. But don't let your questions cause you to miss the point of the parable. Jesus wants us to examine our hearts. If you're not a Christian yet, and you don't yet know uh, in your heart the joy of forgiveness... Well, then please come before the king in prayer. Put your trust in Jesus who has died for you and risen for you to secure your forgiveness. If you're not sure how to do that, then get in touch with us. We'd love to help walk you through this. If you are a Christian and you find it hard to follow these principles, then first of all, 
know that you're normal. <laughs> we all struggle. But also pray to God and ask him to help you. Pray that you'll be able to forgive from the heart and not just from the head. Do it because you want to, not just because you feel you have to. Pray for courage from God to forgive those who you feel are unforgivable. And pray that you would not harden your heart like the servant did. I suspect that what Jesus teaches here has surprised many of us. We may feel it's just all too hard. But since God has forgiven us so much, surely it's not too hard for us to forgive others. It's not too much to ask. After all, the forgiven are to be forgivers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this teaching from Jesus. It's very challenging. And so we pray that you would help us to forgive from the heart. I pray you'd help us to appreciate the forgiveness that we have received by trusting in Jesus. And help us to know that you're in control, that you will settle all of the accounts one way or another. And so we can entrust our lives to you and that we can then be forgiving towards others and to forgive them freely. Thank you, Lord, for this. Amen. See you next week, DPC.